0: Hey, good morning. Hey, that peppy uh, intro here to the message isn't always just for you. Sometimes it's for me. And I'll tell you what happened to me this morning. One of my kids was standing over me saying, "Uh, Dad, you going to church today? And I set my alarm for p.m., not a.m. So uh, I needed that song just to wake me up here today. I hope you're doing well, and welcome to East Bay Calvary Hey, grab your study guide, would you? And we're gonna do a little bit of work this morning in what is an extremely important topic. Last week, we talked about our mission. And our mission is the mission God has given to us as a church, and it is more and better disciples. That's why we exist. We exist for the same mission as Jesus And that is to make more disciples and the disciples that we have to make them better, to make them more like Jesus Christ. And so we step in today's service, and I'm here to ask us the question, what is your life all about? What's your life all about? What will you sacrifice for? What will you go all out for? Now, a few years ago, ESPN did an article on Michael Jordan, who's arguably the best basketball player of all time. The centerpiece of the article surrounded the reality that Jordan was turning 50 and was still wrestling with this passion for the game. And the title of the article was this, Michael Jordan has not left the building. And Jordan's basketball career spanned 15 seasons during which he averaged over 31 points per game He ranked at the top or close in nearly every major stat and is still one of the most recognizable sports figures of all time, even 14 years after his third retirement, if you can believe it. He just couldn't give this game up, and he never considered himself the most talented player. Here's what he said. He considered himself the most driven, the most passionate. And here's here's a couple quotes of Jordan's. I want to give these to you, and I want you to understand how big this topic of passion is for us. Here's what he said. It's consumed me so much, he said. I'm my worst enemy. I drove myself so much that I'm living with some of those drives still today. I'm living with that. I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know if I could get rid of my passion. Then he admits the depths of his passion. Even at age 50, he said, I would give up anything to go back and play the game of basketball. And and you you sit here and you almost feel sorry for the guy. You know, here at the age of 50, 14 years after his retirement, he's he's still not okay with the fact that he's not out there on the court. He's still not okay and he hasn't found the off button to his passion. It still exists, even at the age of 50. And, and he, he says over and over and over again, if I could, I would. In fact, part of the article, someone asked him, well, what would you do against LeBron? And he says, I'd love to go out there and take him on. He's still got it in him. So here's my question for you. What's in you? What are you passionate about? What drives you day in and day out? And I'm going to talk to you here this morning about a very special passage of the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 9. And if you would find in your Bible or your iPad or your phone or wherever uh, you want to look, find 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to work through this together. And in 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul steps forward and he says, "I, I want us all to know my passion He lays out his passion for us this morning, and I know he wants for us to have the same exact passion that he had burning inside of him 2,000 years ago. And we're going to talk about this. Here's something we're going to be doing a little bit later uh, in our time together. When I'm done with our discussion or closer done, we're going to have a time for text message questions. And I would love for you to participate in this. If you have any questions about uh, the message, any specifics about this topic that we're talking about, we want you to text those questions to this number on your screen, 231-492-5673, and I will take them and try to answer them. Uh, If there's any difficult questions, we're gonna have you dial, I think it's uh, 496-4977, and ask for Pastor Reist, and he will answer the difficult questions for you, okay? So uh, do note that, but for today, 231-492-5673, and here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23, Paul is passionate, and I don't even think I can explain it well enough today. Paul is absolutely driven to his core about people that are far from God, He's also driven to his core about people who are new to God. And then he's also driven to his core about people who are at risk. Those are the three groups we're going to be seeing today and how he ministered to them. So here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would, uh, here's your last chance to stand. Stand up, get the blood flowing, friends. And we're going to look at this passage of scripture together, 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. Verses 19 through 23, do we have, and we do have these on slide together. Um, Would you read this passage with me? And uh, we'll discover what he's talking about here in just a moment. Let's read this together. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel. I think you know we're in for a good one, so have a seat. Talk about 1 Corinthians 9 together. So I'm done with our discussion. Make sure you have your text message questions ready to go. 231-492-5673. Paul's passionate about people who are far from God. He was passionate to the point he was willing to give up. And this is how we know what we are really passionate about. It's what we're willing to sacrifice for. What we're willing to give and he was willing to give up about anything for this opportunity to effectively engage those far from God. He would give up about anything to effectively intersect with those who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to just walk through this passage. There's nothing revolutionary that I'm about to mention to you, except for the reality that this passion needs to be present inside all of us. So let me work through the passage with you just quickly here. The beginning portion of this passage, Paul presents a principle. And these are right there in your study guide. He presents a principle, and here's what the principle is. To be a slave to all. To be a slave to all. Here's how he begins to mention this principle. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. So Paul wants us to realize right off the bat, I am not bound to anybody Here on earth, and I'm not bound to a specific code of ceremonial law. Here's what he's referring to. In the the Old Testament and even in Judaism, there were over 650 ceremonial laws that they would adhere to. And some individuals were bound ritually to go over these laws and do them. There were laws of cleansing and how they wash their hands. There were certain laws even on the Sabbath, and what they could and could not do, and there were so many of these. And Paul was the apostle of grace. He realizes, he came to Jesus, Jesus had two commands, and here's what they were, right from the Bible. He said, "The first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul mind, and strength." And the second command is like it, and what is it, folks, to love your neighbor as yourself?" And Paul said, "You know what? Here's my big commands the commands of Jesus to love God and love people. And he says, I'm not bound by Old Testament ceremonial law. I'm under no obligation to anyone to adhere to these because I've been saved by grace through Jesus Christ's death on the cross for me. So I'm a slave to no one, bound to no one. However, he says voluntarily, I have made myself a slave to everyone. I've made myself a slave to everyone. He was voluntarily giving up his social and religious rights and freedoms. And so for Paul, he's starting out the conversation. He wants you to know, I'm not obligated to any of this, but I want you to know that what I do, I do because I want the opportunity to engage other people with the gospel of Christ So I am making myself a slave to everyone. We're gonna find out what that means in just a minute. That's the principle to be a slave to all. Here's number two, the purpose, the purpose. Why in the world would he become a slave to others? Why would he voluntarily do things that he is not obligated to do? And here's the purpose, to win as many as possible. Paul gave up liberties for a purpose and that purpose was to win as many as possible. Now there were parameters to what Paul did. He would not violate scripture to win those far from God. He wasn't about to sin and do things against God and his character in order to win other people. However, he would direct the wide range, and here's a big word for us, of Christian liberties. He would direct this wide range of Christian liberties toward doing things or not doing things that would gain him an advantage in connecting with those who need to believe. Can I just go over that one more time? He would do things or not do things within his Christian liberty to gain an advantage. In connecting with those who needed to believe. So, what would this look like? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. We're going to find out right now. Here's number three. He gave three examples. He gave three examples. Here's the first one, verse 20. The Jews. The Jews. He was not talking about ethnicity. Paul was a Jew, but he wasn't saying to the Jews, I I try to act ethnically like them. This wasn't an ethnic issue. This was a religious issue, and that's why he explains to the Jews or to those under the law, those who were abiding by the law, and he's not dealing with moral laws like, oh, they're really held up by these moral laws like do not kill. No, Paul was not unobligated to moral laws. but Rather, he's talking about these ceremonial laws or preferential laws. To the Jews, those under the law, they would strictly adhere to all 650 ceremonial laws of the Old Testament in hopes that by obeying them, they'll be closer to God. Now, here's the truth of it. Paul used to believe that. Paul was a Pharisee. He said, I was the Pharisee of all Pharisees anyone knew these laws, it was Paul. If anyone did these laws, it was Paul. But Paul said, I'm not bound by those, but to the Jews, I was going to do them. And one of the laws he fiercely defended against was the law of circumcision. Now, not to wade too far out in the weeds on this, but let me just bring up to speak. The Jews believed, and it was true, this was a sign of connection with the Jewish people and God and their covenant that all of their male children would be circumcised. However, when Paul came to Jesus, he said, you know what, you don't have to do that in order to be close to God. And in fact, he said, you don't need to do it at all. I wanna show you something here. Acts 16.3 is a unique passage. Acts 16.3, um, can, I, can I show you this here? It's on the screen. <clears throat> Paul said to Timothy, Paul took on Timothy on a missionary journey. And, um, and let me just give you a quick background on Timothy. Timothy, his mom was Jewish. His dad was Greek. And so the whole deal here is Timothy was not circumcised. And Paul was gonna take Timothy on a missionary journey with him. And Paul told Timothy, you know what? We are going to be connecting with some Jews. We're gonna be connecting with some Jewish people. So here's what I want for you. Here's what it is, Acts 16:3. Paul wanted to take Timothy along the journey. So he circumcised him. Because of the Jews who lived in that area, because they all knew his father was Greek. Now I had a couple questions about this. Maybe these came to your mind too. How would they know? It's good to know I'm not the only one that thinks this way. How would they know? I mean, if I were Timothy facing surgery for the cause of the gospel, I'd probably just say, hey, Paul, this is just between you and me, okay? I'll tell them I am. And only you and I know the truth on this. You know, their day was a little different than ours. They, they didn't have all these nice private restrooms. I would venture to say that there would be people more than willing to violate someone's pri- uh, privacy because of how strictly adherent they were to these laws to find out what the deal was. And the other one, is there a little bit more boldface in that Middle Eastern culture than what we are here in the United States? We're all like, hey, what's your business? This is your business. and what Not over there. They'd come right up to him and say, hey, here's the deal. We know your dad's a Greek. What's going on? And so that was the first question in my mind. Here's the other question. Paul, didn't you say, look at these verses. I think they're gonna pop up here, Galatians 5, 6. Paul, didn't you say, for in Christ, either circumcision or uncircumcision has any value? The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Paul, didn't you say that? And what about this one, Galatians 6, 15? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. and, And so here I am, if I'm Timothy, I'm saying to Paul, Paul, you said this is no big deal. You said it doesn't matter. And I'm fine with God if I'm not, isn't that right? Paul would say, sure, you're fine with God. So why are you making me have surgery? Why don't we just tell the Jewish people this doesn't matter? So come to Jesus. And here's the deal. It was of no value in their relationship with God, but Paul knew it was of value in their relationship with these Jewish people who needed to hear the gospel of Christ. When dealing with these folks, Paul knew Timothy would not be able to, and here's the effective word, he would not be able to engage the Jews effectively if he were not circumcised. Sure, Timothy could walk up there and say, I want you to know the gospel and here's what it is, but he would never be able to effectively engage them. And so Paul made Timothy have surgery And the reason why is this, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Here's another example. In Acts 21, and just scribble this in your notes somewhere, Acts 21, 17 through 26, there was a scenario that um, Paul came back to the church of Jerusalem, and just to give you a snippet of this, Paul came back to the church of Jerusalem and he was ministering to so many individuals and James was the pastor elder at the church of Jerusalem and when he came back when Paul came back James said you know what we have so many Jewish people coming to faith in Christ he said the thousands of Jewish people coming to faith in Christ is tremendous but then James told Paul but I want you to know something we have all these Jewish believers that are still passionate about obeying the law And he says, and they have this idea, Paul, that you are against the law. So here's what James said. So James said, so here's the elders. The elders and I, Paul, want you to do this. We want you to take four of our guys that are passionate about the law. We want you to go with them to their purification rites. And we want you to do their purification rites with them, which includes shaving your head. And then, lastly, we want you to pay the whole bill for all their purification rights for everything and for their head shape. If this were the Apostle Brian, I would probably say to those elders, do we have to obey the law to come to God? And they would say no. And I said, then why am I trying to obey the law? Why do we tell these people, forget the law, you don't need to do this, and stand on our rights? I want you to see what Paul does. Acts 21, 26. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for all of them. So we saw with the circumcision, Paul cared about those far from God, people that are away from God, those Jewish people that were solely relying on the law and on circumcision for their salvation. Paul cared about them enough that he told Timothy, We're not going to connect with them unless you do this, and Paul made him have surgery. And then there was those that were new to God that were still obeying the law, and Paul realized, you know what? In order to engage with them, I will go ahead and participate with them in their purification laws, even though I have no obligation to this. And I'll even get my head shaved and pay their bill. Because I want to be able to engage with them with the gospel of Christ. And Paul said right out, I will be all things to all people so that by all possible means, we might save some. And that's one big group that he dealt with. Here's the two others. The Gentiles. We're going to move through these because your text message questions are going to be coming soon. And maybe they are mulling around in your mind right now. What text message questions are you going to have on this one? Here's the next group. He said, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Here's the second group, verse 21. To those not having the law, and that is the ceremonial law, so the Gentiles, they didn't need to do any of these ceremonies. It wasn't a part of their religious fabric. He said, to To those not having the law, and then he says, though I am not free from God's law, the moral law, but I'm under Christ's law, he would be like the Gentiles. To win those not having the law. Here's two sides of it. To seasoned believers and people that have been a part of church for a long time, we often feel better about giving up freedom to reach those without Jesus. I'll go along with the more restrictive things to reach those far from God, like Paul did with the Jews. However, sometimes it means, this one's harder for me, exercising freedoms that I otherwise wouldn't do in order to engage with and focus on those outside of Paul's family, outside of the family of God. Exercising freedoms. This is a toughie. Paul connected with pagans in their place of worship. And although he would not engage in sinful things, there were things he could do to better engage them with the gospel of Christ. Now trust me, as a lifelong Jew and Pharisee, These were not things Paul was used to doing. He probably never did some of these things his whole life, but he exercised his liberty so as to have a better opportunity and platform to share the gospel with others. I'm going to give you a couple. What are liberties that we may exercise to have a better opportunity and platform to share the gospel with others? Let me just launch out into the sensitive areas. Um, I have participated in something here in Traverse City that I've never done in my entire life. In fact, I was grown up that this was wrong. There is a swing dancing group in Traverse City I've never danced a day in my life. Then one day some sinners, I mean church members, (laughs) invited us to go to this community event. And I I felt guilty. (laughs) And I actually exercised my liberty to swing dance. Now the dancing itself was not sinful. However, how poorly I danced probably was. (laughs) But I've done something like that and I'm actually engaging in an opportunity to connect with unbelievers. Please don't come to see me, but if you come, come to engage unbelievers in relationship and with the gospel of Christ. There are some missionaries I knew who, and this is even more sensitive, who never, ever drank in their entire lives. They never drank alcohol, ever. And they went to a country in which drinking was the norm for everybody, even young people. And they realized if they were to ever engage these people, they may have to do something they've never done. Obviously, they don't get drunk. But they realized in order to engage these people, they may need to do something they've never done here in the States rather than taking a stand against people on a preferential issue. And they actually participated with them. And then when they came back to the States, they didn't drink. I'm going to give you one more. Tell you about the first day I ever wore jeans to church. I had invited some people from the community to come to church for our Easter service in New York. Here's what got me. He said, I probably wouldn't be welcome at your church because I don't have a suit and my wife doesn't have a dress. So I started to tell him, I, I was thinking in my head, you know, I'll tell him, I, I'm sure there'll be others at a church that don't have a suit or dress on. then I said this crazy phrase that changed my life forever. I said, just wear your jeans. That's that's what I'll be wearing on Sunday, Easter Sunday. Then I said, besides, God is impressed with your heart, not your clothes. God doesn't care what you are wearing Sunday. You can wear a suit. You can wear a dress. You can wear jeans. God doesn't care. And I'm not saying so. Everyone needs to dress the same. I'm just saying I knew for me and those people got impressed on my heart. Maybe I need to exercise a liberty for them so that way they would be able to be better engaged by me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The crazy thing is they're still there. And I praise God for that. So to the Gentiles or those not under the law, Paul did some things he'd never done his whole life. He never ate meat offered to idols all through his Jewish life. He he would participate in vows and stay away from drinking. And even in Romans 14, he says, it doesn't matter if you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so there were so many things he didn't do, but when he wanted to connect with Gentiles, so long as it was not a sin, he did what was best to the advantage of the gospel of Jesus Christ to engage those people with that message. And that's what he did. To the Jews, I restricted myself. To those without the law, I engaged in some liberties, but it was always to the advantage of the gospel of Jesus. And then here's a third group, and it mentions in verse 22, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Now, weak is not as derogatory as it sounds. These were issues of a weak conscience or developing conscience. Conscience, And so these are people, the apostle says, are those who are falling away because they haven't figured things out. They are more susceptible to falling away. I, I would like to call these people at risk, at risk believers. So we see he connected with the unbeliever, those without God who are far from God. He connected with the new believer and that he did these ceremonial rites, even shaved his head. And here he's connecting with the at-risk believers, those whose consciences haven't fully developed in their faith in God. They may not be as strong, and they may be susceptible to falling away. And so here's how the apostle engaged the weak. He said, I would become like them. I would connect and engage with them. And when I look at today's at-risk believers, I'm curious in your mind, just formulate, who would be most at-risk? Who do we see in our churches today, believers that are most at-risk and susceptible to falling away? And I'm going to tell you who I think it is. But I really believe that the most at-risk group in today's churches that need to be targeted like the Apostle Paul looked at are young people. And Young people all the way up into their early 20s, all stats show. All stats show that young people may come up through church and they go through their Sunday school and they go through their youth programs and they get in their late teens or early 20s and guess what, they're gone. And not only do stats show that, you and I all know experiences in some have even gone through this painful, challenging experience of these at-risk individuals who step away. And these are people Paul, he went all out for. He would identify with him. He wanted every advantage to effectively communicate the gospel to them for their benefit. And so he said to the weak, I have become weak to win." Here's the big three-letter word I want to give you. This is the why, W-H-Y. This is the why Paul did what he did. This is why he gave up things. This is why he exercised things. This is why he identified with people. His passion was fueled inside for those far from God, those new to God, and those at risk in stepping away from God. This is what made him tick. He didn't care about his liberties for his sake. He would twist himself into a pretzel. He would contort his life and his habits and his styling so it's better to connect with other individuals. This is why he made the adjustments he did. And folks, this is why we do what we do. I want you to realize The changes that have been done here, this is the why. We we don't do music this way just because it's hip or hey, we heard this other church does it, so let's do it the same way. No, there's a why. It's because we want to better engage either those without Christ, those new to Christ, or those at risk. Better engage them. This is the why we will continue to think through this and adjust some things. We have got to constantly ask, does this truly give us a greater advantage to reach those far from God? Does it really give us a better advantage the way we do it? Will this really connect with the new believer? Will this really help those most at risk? And those are the whys that made Paul tick. And I really believe if ministries show passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what makes them tick as well, the why. All things to all men, so that by all possible means, we might save some. I've got one more point you see on there, but we're not gonna get to it yet. We're going to launch out to your text message questions. And I wonder if we have any that have come in. And you are seeing these at the same time I am. So let's see if any have come in. And if they haven't, we'll say praise the Lord and we will close in prayer. But here we go. Why do some struggle with sacrificing for the sake of the gospel? Oh, boy. That's a great question. Um, There's more than one answer to that. Some some people struggle with sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. Some people, um, I don't know about others. I know for me. I grew up through a church system, that had everything labeled as right or wrong. Preferential things. I grew up in a church system that knew the exact length of hair that God wanted you to have as a man, the exact wardrobe you were to wear, the exact distance that you could stand to a microphone, that you could not hold a microphone in your hand, the exact specific translation you needed to use, and on and on and on and on. And and so some individuals, and this may not even be you, this was me, I grew up thinking, This was sin. There wasn't a verse for it, but it sure was preached with passion. And I grew up thinking, that's sin. I could never do that. We can't compromise on this. And so, for some individuals, I understand that there may be some very strong feelings about these things. To have a drummer, which this is, a, I got to sit over here this morning. That was awesome to be able to watch what goes on inside the cage over here. That, that was really, that was great. But to some people, they heard that was wrong. And it's hard. I understand. Um, to some, some fit another category. And we're going through a book in our staff called um, Who Moved My Pulpit? and our our staff and pastors are reading through this, and it talks about five different types of um, challenging believers, and one is the entitled believer. Some people think, hey, I like it this way, and they need to do it this way, because I like it, which means it's great, and I want what's great for them, so they need to do it my way. And there's entitled believers that just feel this this is the best, because they like it. And they're not outward focused to those far from Christ, those new to Christ, or those at risk. They're inward focused on what they like. And so sometimes that's another issue. I'm going to give you a third one, and then, um, then we'll go on to the next question. Why does some struggle with sacrificing to seek the gospel? Sometimes people aren't challenged to do it. Sometimes no one asks the church to step up. Let's think about those out there, not just us in here. Let's do this thing together. And so um, I'm not going to fail at that. Um, I'm gonna, I want to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. I, I'm in, gang. I'm all in. I'm not at risk. You're not going to see me leaving Jesus. I'm all in. And, and, and I, I just, I want us all to be all in. And to think about those on the outside, not just about those on the inside. So sometimes people aren't challenged to do that. That's a great question. What's another one here we got? What types of sacrifices do you think we should make? What's another one you got back there in there? Get, got another one? Um, oh, thank you. What does the text to become like? Uh, what does text mean to become like? That's, um, that's the burning question. Um, I tried to identify it in the passage. Um, he identified with people. Did you, did you see when he went to the Jews, he told Timothy, you're not gonna be able to connect with these people unless you're circumcised. He identified with important things to them. With the new believer that was struggling with the purification rites and shaving their head, he actually went through that. I don't think Paul was saying, oh, I'm closer to God now that I shaved my head. He's thinking, you know what? I'm closer to these guys here now that I've shaved my head. And I've got a better chance to engage them with the gospel of Jesus and grow them. So to become like he identified with important factors to them. And, uh, and that's what become like. Let me, I, I will answer that question previous if you want to jump back to it. Um, what types of sacrifices do you think we should make? I want to, number one, I think we already are making some. And for some people, you step into this room, and this music is not your music. And for people that do something like that, or you walk in here, and when you see me in blue jeans, you're like, oh, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, (laughs) what is going on? But for people to walk in this room and you see this, and then you say things like, it's not about me. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for people that sacrifice like that, I say thank you so much. I applaud you. People like that, that's what it's all about. That's exactly what it's all about. And I, I applaud people that already sacrifice now. It's happening, not this that we need to. It's already happening. And I really believe, I don't know all of what sacrifices we need to make, but I do know who we need to focus better on. Those far from God, those new to God, and those at risk in their relationship with God. And instead of focusing our ministry on a 45 year believer in Jesus Christ, who's not going anywhere. Let's think about those where we need every potential advantage to connect them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and how to best make the more and better disciples. So what sacrifices? I, I think we need to strategically think through, especially our children's and youth ministry, we have, we do things with excellence, we have excellent workers, but these are the greatest at risk, and we see the greatest drop in ministries right after those, those years, and I really think we can, we can do well to continue to better identify with our youth, with those at risk in those late teens and early 20s, to really go after them, and, and truthfully, some of this I'm unfamiliar with culturally. I'm stepping into new territory for me. Um, I think in our worship, we are moving in a good direction and need to continue to think about identification in those ways. Um, These are gonna be some continuing discussions in our elders meetings and as we talk together. But the idea is, whatever it is, if it gives us an advantage for the gospel and it's not sin, count me in. Count me in if it's for the sake of the gospel. You got another one? Just one more, and then we'll then we'll finish up. How far will we be willing to reach others who desperately? How far should we be willing to go to reach others who desperately need Jesus? There's a line that I will not cross. It's the line of sin. There's, there's a church that I'm familiar with. They say, we will do anything short of sin to reach those far from God. I think that's a good thought to have. I'm not gonna sin. I, I, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't do God's word a service to disobey it in order to reach people that are far from God. In fact, what am I really reaching them with if I use un-God-like things to do that? But I I think we say, like the Apostle Paul, I will do all things. I'll be all things to all men, so that by all possible means we might save some. He did surgery. I won't even ask you to have surgery, people. Shaved his head. I think we can tweak things we do, and it won't be nearly the sacrifice. Here's our last ones, and thank you for those who participated. If there's more text message questions, we're doing another message similar to this called, Do We Give Them Rest? It's on November 5th. Save your text message questions. We'll we'll hit those then, but let me give this to you. The priority, number four, in our sermon notes, the priority. And I love this. So he connected with the Jews, to those who had the law. He connected to the Gentiles those who didn't have the law, to the weak, those with weak conscience who were at risk, he identified and connected with them. And here's the big phrase. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And the priority is the gospel and its blessings. This is all for that. Many churches, I believe, don't experience incredible blessing because many are not focused on the advantage of the gospel. Can you imagine, folks? Can you imagine what could happen with 400 people that collectively set out to focus on effectively engaging those far from God. What would happen, what could happen if we all said, who cares about us? Let's effectively engage with those far from God, those new believers or those at-risk believers with no concern for ourselves, no concern for our preferences. And if we all truly engage and link arms, to think about those who were without and we were willing to do anything short of sin to genuinely engage others. Can you just imagine what it would be like if we were willing to put up with anything? Because it gave us a better platform to engage today's culture. If we were truly passionate to win as many as possible, not as many as convenient, not as many as long as I'm not uncomfortable, not as many as are manageable, not as long as the church doesn't feel too big, not as long as we don't have to start another service, not as long as they accept my preference, not as long as I don't lose my program, but if we truly were passionate to win as many as possible, no matter what the personal sacrifice on my part, imagine what God could do with that. And that gives me shivers inside. I love it. I want to finish with a couple quotes. There's an old gospel preacher named C.T. Studd. Isn't that an awesome name? You know it's going to be a good quote with a name like that. He says, someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Charles Spurgeon, famous evangelist, preacher, theologian, says, the fact is, brethren, we must have conversion work here. We cannot go on as some churches do without converts. We cannot, we will not, we must not, we dare not. Souls must be converted here. And if there be not many born to Christ, may the Lord grant to me that I may sleep in the tomb and be heard no more. Better indeed for us to die than to live if souls be not saved. That is a crazy quote. What about you? What's your passion? What makes you tick? What's your purpose? Who are the people that you personally are burdened for? Who will you make time for or build relationships with or adjust your life for? And imagine if we all together would say with the Apostle Paul, I will put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And Father, that's... um, That's our prayer today. Like the Apostle Paul, to be in that position where it's not about me. It's not about us. It's all about you and this tremendous gospel by which we are saved. And I think, God, if you would be so generous the passion that you had for those far from you to send your son to earth to die for us and the passion that you put within the Apostle Paul to be willing to give up anything made also reverb in us to be our passion Not about us, not about our preferences, but God, about others, about those far from you, those new to you, those at risk in their relationship with you, God. Make us tick for others, just like your son, Jesus, just like the apostle Paul. May it happen here. Friend, just keep your eyes closed another second. I just want you to look inside, and I want you to ask the question we started with, What is your passion? What do you live for? Who do you live for? And answer that. And if there's anything that needs to turn around, do it. Give it to God. Be willing to sacrifice for the right cause. Share it with him right now in a moment of silence. All things to all people, that by all means we might save some. One last quote for us. Charles Spurgeon said, As sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Now that's passion, folks. That's passion. I don't think the Apostle Paul ever found an off switch to his passion for those far from God. God showed us his passion for us and that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. And we show our passion for the gospel with what we are willing to sacrifice for. it. Think about it. What are we willing to sacrifice for? Hey, God bless your day. So good to see you. Be praying for our church. Be praying for our growth. Be praying for our willingness to sacrifice. And we'll see you later this week or Sunday. Or at Swing Dance. (laughs) God bless you.